The following audio is from City Rev Church. For more information about City Rev Church, visit us online at cityrev.org. Let's pray together. You may be seated. God, we're asking you to do what you're willing, able, and ready to do. Meet with us. To meet with us. God, we've sung songs that are filled with hope. They sing of your character. They sing of your activity. And yeah, I just pray, we pray that the weight of the words we sing would not be lost through repetition. The power of yielding, of surrender, to lay it down and say, here you go, you do what you want to do. The acknowledgement that you watch us more intimately, more closely, then you even watch the sparrows, God, and it is a testament to your concern and your care and your love. But there's a testimony we all could have if we encounter, man, God, the weight of what we've sung, would, would it not be lost on us? But would it continue to move us even as we work through the word uh, together? So God, as we we move from the praises of your name uh, to the preaching of your word, would you be with us, oh God? Would you give us more illumination? Would you give us energy? And would you give us focus for the task at hand? Continue to meet with us, please. In your name we pray, Jesus. Amen. Y'all really could have kept singing. I just want you to know, Josh, you know, if you... Maybe next service. I just want to be able to come back. So there's certain things I don't do or say. So praise God for that. Man, it's good to be here. If you have a Bible, go ahead and grab it and meet me in the book of Philemon. Philemon is towards the end of our Bible. It's often the book I have found that has the least amount of wear and tear. So there's not a lot of underlining or highlighting often in the book of Philemon. But hopefully we could change that today in this room and online as well. Man, uh, Justin and you, he's not even there. Look at that. I look to the right. He's not, not going to shame. I'm going to shame him later. But yeah, um, when he introduced uh, me, we were just chatting earlier and just the the feeling of not really being a guest, but really feeling like, man, this feels like family. This feels like uh, coming home. And so, man, just thank you guys for being who you are and creating an environment that is refreshing, that feels like, oh, this is home. It's like, I feel like I'm right at home, you know, in this whole thing. And not only that, but one of the things I love about you guys is the way you are animated by the possibilities of transformation and change in this city and beyond. It's a huge deal, guys. And so, so yeah, keep, keep being you. Prayerfully, Philemon and our time together would stir us to that end. We are taking a break from the series that you're in, but not the sentiment that you guys have had where God would draw us in through his word and change us forevermore. I was away um, a few weeks ago on an anniversary trip. Me and my wife, we got away uh, to just kind of escape some of the 
the weight of the apocalypse and the pandemic. And so um, a friend of mine was preaching and first of all, he crushed it. <laughs> he's amazing. But as he was preaching, he, he's a chaplain. Um, and so he just walks with people differently through a grief journey. There's a sensitivity, there's a tenderness um, that he just walks with and walks people through and just kind of the nature of the globe and where we have found ourselves, his job has been very trying. Um, but as he was preaching, he made this statement that just really kind of crystallized some thoughts that I've had. And, and he, was, he was making this statement, this idea, do we have a faith that can meet the demands of the day? As Christians, do we have a faith that can meet the demands of the day, the moment of time we fall our, find ourselves in? Do we have a faith that can meet those demands? And the answer to that question is yes. Okay? Make no mistake about it. If you are a Christian in here, you have believed the truth of the gospel, who Jesus is, you receive him as such, and everything has changed in light of that. You do have a faith that can meet the demands of the day. The moment that we find ourselves in speaks clearly, consistently, courageously to the day. And the voice that booms from our faith crystallizes in love, love, love. And as I was wrestling with that and just kind of just working through what he was stating and even just what we're going to be dealing with today, it dawned on me the extent, it's actually a little jarring, but the extent to which we love the idea or concept of love more than love itself. We love love conceptually, but when it's time to not just talk about it, but to express it, there's a cringe that happens. Now that happens with a lot of other things, right? We love the idea of lifestyle changes and diets, etc. Then it's like, oh, you mean gym like regularly? Oh, you mean I have to maybe pass on the Sour Patch Kids for a little bit? Eee. We love certain things ideally until the rubber meets the road. And unfortunately, love is one of those things. And what, I've, what I found, which is the jarring part, specifically with Christians and Christians in South Florida in particular, is we will lower the bar of love just so that we can meet it and then pat ourselves on the back for doing a good job. Because... Christians in particular, we have a concept that is pretty stunning regarding love. Pretty stunning regarding love and practice. And we're like, mm, cool, let's just lower the bar a little bit so that we could reach it and feel good about ourselves. And what is frustrating is that doesn't meet the demands of our day at all. It creates confusion. And we don't have to do that. In fact, God won't let us. God raises the bar of love consistently in life, consistently through the scriptures, and draws us into a question. How far are we willing to be stretched for the sake of love? That he will raise the bar of this thing and then draw us in and say, how far are we willing to be stretched for that? And how we answer that question shapes every single relationship in our life. I want us to stare at that question well. 
be drawn in by that question, to deal with that question, to be stirred by that question because we are stirred by the stunning picture of love God consistently puts in front of people. And that's where Philemon is profoundly helpful. Philemon leads us to this encounter with that question, with that love, by causing us to explore some of the examples Philemon gives us an example of that. Paul, who wrote this letter, gives us an example of that. And Onesimus gives us an example of that as well. And we're going to look at their examples. But before we do that, there are some powerful subtleties, some significant ideas scattered throughout this passage that shape us. They draw us in, and I want us to be drawn in. And so we're going to look at some of the significant ideas that are actually shaping the environment of this text And then we're going to look at these examples and what they teach us regarding the depths and dynamics of love. And then we'll close. Significant ideas, really some subtleties, what these examples are teaching us regarding love. And then we'll close. You with me? Yes? Praise God. Glad I'm not talking to myself. Amen. And so I'm going to read it straight through because it's beautiful, it's poetic, and then we'll take it uh, bit by bit. Uh, Philemon, starting in verse 1, reads like this. Paul, a prisoner for Christ Jesus, and Timothy, our brother, to Philemon, our beloved fellow worker, and Aphia, our sister, and Archippus, our fellow soldier, and the church in your house. If you do underline things in your Bible, or you make notes, you highlight it, underline, highlight, star that, the church in your house. Verse 3, grace to you and peace from God, our Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God always when I remember you in my prayers because I hear of your love and of the faith that you have toward the Lord Jesus and for all of the saints. And I pray that the sharing of your faith may become effective for the full knowledge of every good thing that is in us for the sake of Christ. For I have derived much joy and comfort from your love, my brother, because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed through you accordingly, though I am bold enough in Christ to command you to do what is required, yet for love's sake, I prefer to appeal to you, I, Paul, an old man, and now a prisoner also for Christ Jesus, I appeal to you for my child, Onesimus, whose father I became in my imprisonment. Now, formerly, he was useless to you, but now he is indeed useful to you and to me. And I'm sending him back to you, sending my very heart I would have been glad to keep him with me in order that he might serve me on your behalf during my imprisonment for the gospel. But I prefer to do nothing without your consent in order that your goodness might not be by compulsion, but of your own accord. For this, perhaps, is why he was parted from you for a while, that you might have him back forever. No longer as a bondservant, but more than a bondservant, as a beloved brother. Especially to me, 
but how much more to you, both in the flesh and in the Lord. So if you consider me your partner, receive him as you would receive me. If he has wronged you at all or owes you anything, charge that to my account. I, Paul, write this with my own hand and I will repay it to say nothing of your own of your owning me, even your own self. Yes, brother, I want some benefit from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ, confident of your obedience. Believing God is actually working within you. Believing that you're going to respond accordingly. Choosing trust over suspicion, confident of your obedience, I write to you, knowing that you, my God, knowing that you will do even more than I say. At the same time, prepare a guest room for me, for I'm hoping that through your prayers, I will be graciously given to you. Epaphras, my Fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus sends his greetings to you, and so does Mark and Aristarchus and Demas and Luke and my fellow workers. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Let's get to work. There's a lot. I mean, there's a lot here. It's beautiful. It's enriching. It just kind of just pulls you in, man. The Bible is amazing. This is a story that is told for the purpose of flooring us. The depths of love that just permeate these, I mean, it's just, it's ridiculous, it's crazy. This is an appeal. Paul is writing this letter to a man, Philemon, who has been wronged in some shape, form, or fashion. Specifically, there's a relationship that's broken. He was relating to bondservant, slave, depending on your translation, how you understand, doulos, Onesimus, who left. Got his freedom, not doing the slave thing anymore. Chunked the deuces. Maybe when he left, there was one finger missing. He was out. He left, ends up becoming a Christian, introduced to the Vastness of God's love and grace, life transformed forever. Paul is writing this letter saying, yo, Onesimus is coming back to you. Receive him. We need a restored relationship. The depths of this book carry weight, especially in the time we find ourselves in. Restoration that's authentic and life-giving, and transformative. Now, love is there, and we're going to get there. But this, I mean, the, the sheer volume of ideas that just kind of bounce from this passage is ridiculous. Some are straightforward, some are subtle. Each and every single one of them shape our understanding of this passage and ultimately how we're supposed to relate to God and others, self-included. Let's work through a few, Yes? Read with me the beginning, the start of it. This is what he says. He says, and Aphia, our sister, and Archippus, our fellow soldier, and the church in your house had us underline it in the beginning. 
Subtle, dripping with significance. Now, a few things we could pull from that. The first is, this really is an argument for the locality of the church. Okay? He, he is saying, wait, I'm not, I'm not talking to just general Christians out there in the sphere of the world. I am talking to this unique experience of people in Hierapolis or Colossae, depending on where you land. The local church. Now, this matters specifically in the here and now because the global pandemic that we find ourselves in, that we have walked through. I know some of us, many of us are over COVID, even though COVID is not over us, right? You know what I'm saying? But the pandemic that we've found ourselves in has accelerated the deterioration of relationships. We're not as connected anymore. There's been room made for stuff to divide us, fair? And the way that divide plays out often, I've seen, in terms of Christianity, is the distance created between people and the church. So I don't need a church. I'm just going to be connected to this larger thing out there. The church isn't useful, it's not helpful, and it surely isn't beautiful. I'm good. But he is making an apologetic for the locality of the church and its beauty. He's going to refer to them as saints, people bearing the marks of profound dignity, even though they bear the marks of profound shame and hypocrisy, the local church. So the argument is there. Furthermore, another idea that we could pull from this, I think is just, he says the church in your house, Philemon, church in your house. Now, Philemon, as we understand him through this letter, is a very generous man. He's wealthy as well. But though he is wealthy, his house isn't even as big as this room. Come on, come on, guys. Like, just understanding context. His house would be no bigger than ours, some of ours, in Jesus' name. <laughs> Yet, what he said was the church gathering in your house, guys. The strength of a church will never be its size. It's the sincerity of its faith. So this small collection of people who are covenanted together to say, I want to know you uniquely and deeply as we make God known and as we experience him together, that is no bigger than maybe a third of this room. Their faith is echoing all across the known world, reaching Paul in prison. I've heard of your faith and your love for the saints, the strength of a church will never be its size. It'll be the sincerity of its faith. There's more here. Uh, verse, verse four, more ideas. It just, I think my God always, when I remember you in my prayers, prayer saturates this entire passage. It's at the beginning, it's at the end where he said, maybe, just maybe, I'll be free from prison if you pray. Do you see what Paul is doing there? Not only is he inviting us into the necessity and the power of prayer, he is showing us the consistency of it in the life of a believer as well. I'm thinking about you, and instead of talking about you or talking around you, I'm talking to God for you on your behalf. That matters. We talk around people, don't we? I mentioned it without mentioning them. He's like, no, I'm not even going to do that. I'm going to celebrate you first and foremost, but I'm going to talk to God about you. I want God to continue to do work in you. He is showing us something subtle but significant. If we underestimate prayer, we undermine power. 
Notice what he's, again, he's saying, yo, I want to be freed from this prison. But my hope isn't that Caesar is going to intervene. My hope isn't my winsomeness being able to convince this prison guard to let me go early. My hope is that you are praying regularly and the God who hears you, sees you, cares for you, Jaira, that God would respond accordingly. Underestimate prayer, undermine power. There's more here. Verse 15, for this perhaps is why he was parted from you for a while, that you might have him back forever. There is this pervasive humility that just is expressed in the lives of the people of God all throughout the scriptures. And one of the ways that pervasive humility shows up is what language like perhaps, maybe language. It's stunning. The consistent frequency, the sheer frequency of the writers of the scriptures who are telling the story using words like, well, perhaps. What Paul is keying us into is what is known as the perspective of providence. So providence is this idea that God rules authoritatively. He is in control of all things. But God doesn't just rule authoritatively. He works actively. And as he's working, we are invited to guess and enter into curiosity and say, well, God, where are you working? What are you doing? Now, we know the ultimate plan, but how is that plan being like, fulfilled in the here and now? And his, do you see what he did? He has taken his lens and perspective of the providence of God, and he's using it to interpret the situation between Philemon and Onesimus. He said, yo, he ran away from you, but perhaps the reason he ran from you was so he could run into Jesus. That's a huge deal. He is interrogating life through providence. Providence asked the question, how might God be working in through, around, ordinary, extraordinary, celebratory, joyous, and even sorrowful circumstances. Would we interrogate our lives to say, how's God working? Humble, thoughtful, grace-shaped curiosity. More here. Significant ideas. Verse 16. <laughs> Verse 16 reads like this. No longer as a bondservant, but more than a bondservant, as a beloved brother. Loaded. All right. Would this just sit on us? He is, now this is going to show up in the dynamics of love that are coming, but he is saying, yo, Philemon, I want you to receive Onesimus back in relationship with you, but I want it to be different than what it was before. I want you to receive Onesimus back. I want this restored relationship between the two of you, but I want the sole determining factor for the restoration, the sole determining factor for how you're going to relate to him to be the gospel. 
I want it to be the good news of Jesus Christ. That's what I want to shape the restoration in this relationship. Don't have him back as a bondservant. Don't just clear his deck and let bygones be bygones. There's something better for you, not bondservant, brother. This is the gospel. That there's this holy, beautiful, perfect, loving, kind, generous, powerful, personal God who created all things, humans included, to know him and enjoy him and experience him and express his power, his beauty, his generosity, his kindness, his goodness, his love. Instead of expressing that well, we violate the relationship. We say thanks but no thanks through ignoring him. We say thanks but no thanks through trying to replace him. We violate the relationship. And you know what God does? He doesn't stay away. Oh, man, that, you violated a relationship. All right, off with you. Away. He pursues in love to restore the relationship. But you know what's beautiful about the gospel? Is he doesn't just bring us back and say, oh, hey, cool, now we're in the same room and now we can kick it together. He says, I am going not just from enemy to friend. I'm going from enemy to father. So I'm going to relate to you as I relate to my own son. That's the gospel. Stripes for sonship. The gospel is beautiful. And it doesn't just bring different people to the same room. It brings different people into the same family. And he's saying, oh yeah, Philemon, that's how I want you to relate to Onesimus, family, brother, not bondservant. It matters. There's more here, even just with that verse, because we read stuff into the Bible. So we hear bondservant, and if you read in the King James, if you, if you use that, praise God for you, no shame, like slave and the whole nine. And so, honestly, we, we, we import ideas into the scriptures. So there's a cringe that even comes when certain people read this, me being one of those, right? Slave. And what I'm doing is I am taking an entire system and understanding of slavery, namely the transatlantic slave trade and the codifying of race, the dehumanizing of people, the entire build out of a system and economic and cultural policy rooted around violence. I'm importing all of that into this. And that's not necessarily what he's talking. He's not talking about chattel slavery. That is not the picture or the category of slavery that the scriptures has. That's a modern conception. In fact, the scriptures speak out against that man stealing, etc. But the reason why we highlight that here is because we need to be honest and aware of the bias we bring to the table. We actually don't come to the scriptures clean. We come with ideas and bias that shapes how we see the stories in front of us. But we don't just come with bias, we actually come with baggage. So uh, two years ago with some change, I tore my ACL and I got uh, surgery, uh, reconstructive ACL surgery. I used to tell people I was saving a baby that was crossing the street without her mom. In reality, I was just walking to the airport, knee buckled, I'm getting old, it happens. <laughs> and so, 
You know, <laughs> so I got surgery. I'm in my house, my kids, uh, one of them who I'm not going to out, they, they come up to me to give me a hug. They bump against my leg. I scream. Ah! I hit every octave imaginable, I hit it with precision. And I'm in pain. And I'm like, yo, like, their name, like I said, you hurt me. That hurt. And they're like, we still, you love me? Like, is something going on? You know, and obviously I had to repent because those octaves communicated a level of aggression that wasn't intended for them. Does that make sense? Now, the truth of the matter is, they did hurt me. But the greater truth is, I was already hurting. Are you tracking with me? And so they brushed up against what was pre-existing. There's so much in us, guys, that the scriptures brushes up against every time we open the Bible because it's a mirror into our souls. And we need to be aware of that and how it shapes our interpretation and subsequently our actions. Does that make sense? Now, to close out this, this thought, these subtleties, these ideas, all of them collide to this simple statement, the scriptures come alive. They come alive. They're so saturated with wisdom and truth and love, God's story. They're not just a mirror into our hearts. They're a window into who God is. The scriptures come alive, but the scriptures will never come alive for us with cursory interaction from us. Like if we're just perusing the surface, they're not going to pierce us the same. But God has given us this glorious book, not just to pierce us, but to pull us into, draw us into the depths and dynamics of who he is, how he's working. And the depths and the dynamics that they draw us into orient around love. And that's what we see here. We're being taught some depths and dynamics of love. Each of them teaches us what they say and the example that they're giving. Let's just take it bit by bit, starting with Paul. Verse 8. Accordingly, though I am bold enough in Christ to command you to do what is required, yet for love's sake, I prefer to appeal to you. Two things here. First, this is a critical window into beautiful leadership. Notice what he leads into. He doesn't lean into power. He could. Apostle, I saw the risen Jesus was personally commissioned by him. I carry unique authority. I love the scriptures. I'm a pastor. I love my church. I like writing sermons. But you could take it and leave it. This is when it's all said and done. <laughs> when it's all said and done, you're like, yeah, I disagree. I'm out. Even if I root it in the word of God. Paul didn't write scriptures. No, he didn't write sermons. He wrote the scriptures. Unique authority. You tracking with me? Yet he's not leaning into that power. He is showing us that leadership has a different lean. It leans into a crown of thorns. It leans into a towel and water to wash feet and serve. Yeah, I could lower the boom in light of the weight of the gospel. Philemon, do this now. That's not what he says. I appeal to you. I'm serving you. I'm submitting to you. So we see that there. 
But also, he, his appeal is actually quite pragmatic. He's like, yo, Philemon, you have rights in this Greco-Roman world. You can deal harshly with Onesimus when he comes back. Some scholars, one to three years is the time distance between they saw each other. If the last time he saw you, he had one finger in the sky. The next time he sees you, I know you're going to be angry. So you have three years to recuperate and interest. You could do that. You could deal with him harshly because you have legal grounding to do so. And he's saying, but I'm not doing that. I'm not calling you to lean into rights. I am asking you. I am appealing you. Lay down your personal liberty for the sake of another. That's what love does. Love limits personal liberty for the sake of another. Now, Paul reiterates this. 1 Corinthians 8 makes us a little uncomfortable. 1 Corinthians 8. Therefore, if Paul, no, Paul, <laughs> therefore, if food makes my brother stumble, I will never eat meat lest I make my brother stumble. Crazy. Some people had a, had a story, and because of their story, it shaped how they were bag. It was shaping how they were relating to, to God. Paul was sensitive to that. He's like, Yo, listen, you came out of this pagan experience where you had bacon and ribs, but you didn't think barbecue. You thought Baal worship. You thought that you were sacrificing to this false god. And so now these other brothers and sisters, they're like, oh, this is barbecue. This is good. Why are you tripping? And he's like... I see what's happening in your conscience. I see what's going on so much so that I'm going to respond differently to you. Do you hear what he just I will be a vegan for your spiritual vitality. Come on, man. That's crazy. Love limits personal liberty for the sake of another. It's wild. There's more he teaches us with his words and with his example. Verse 12 I am sending him back to you, sending my very heart. Man, 80s baby growing up in the 90s, 90s, everything was better. Amen. <laughs> cartoons, a whole nine. But it was, it was a golden age, not just of cartoons, you know, Rugrats, All Real Monsters, etc. But it was the golden age of R&B as well. Who said preach? That was your shouting moment. You caught it. Praise God. <laughs> and one of my favorite groups of the 90s was a group by the name of Blackstreet, right? And so if you're familiar, they had some hits. One of them was No Diggity. I like the way you, No Diggity. No, that, uh, but they had this other one, which was more subtle, which was, if you take your love away from me, I'll go crazy. I'll go in. Who's heard that song before? I feel seen. I feel seen in Jesus' name. Amen. Glorious, and if you've heard it online, you could just put an emoji in there or whatever. And I feel like it captured really 90s music and R&B about love, which is, I just need to hold on to it. I need to hoard it in a sense. I need to privatize it, if you will. Do, we, do you see what he just said? He said, I am sending my very heart to you. Love isn't hoarded. It's cherished and it's shared. That is the nature of love. When the full weight of eternity is dropped into our hearts, 
and we are melted by the love of God, it is not so we could hold on to that for ourselves alone, so that we could cherish it and then share it. There's more. Not, not only, again, he, you see his appeal in the beginning, but verse 14 builds out his appeal some more. It says, but I prefer to do nothing without your consent in order that your goodness might not be by compulsion, but your own accord. I don't want to guilt you into goodness. I don't want to emotionally manipulate you into a particular type of activity. I don't want to move or act in some passive, aggressive, winsome way to get you to do something. I am not leaning into guilt. I'm leaning into grace. Grace everywhere. The gospel. Love's appeal is not guilt. Love's appeal is grace. I am choosing to rely on the ultimate goodness of God at work in you. How many broken relationships do we have where it's so easy to manipulate people with guilt? Praise God. He does not interact with us in that way. That how you became a Christian? God guilted you into this thing? That's how you stay a Christian? God heaping shame on you and guilt to motivate you to activity? Or is it love and grace? Paul's words, they're all, they're all here. Paul has some more words, but the remainder of his words give us the example of Philemon and Onesimus. In fact, let's pivot to, to Philemon. His words are collapsing into like Philemon's Example, verse 7 and verse 20, for I have derived much joy and comfort from your love, my brother, because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed through you. Verse 20, yes, brother, I want some benefit from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ. Love refreshes the heart. These are acts that Philemon is demonstrating and Paul is acknowledging them, affirming them, and identifying them as things that refresh the heart. But the, the language of refreshing is powerful. It's meant to be connected back to Jesus and some words that he used to weary, tired, wounded, worn down, broken, frustrated people by the burdens of life. Maybe you've heard it. Come to me, anyone who is weary, and I will give you rest. I will revive you. I will refresh you. I will make you whole again. The exact same word. Paul is making a point. Love brings people to life. It energizes. It motivates. It transforms. It creates this rage in the soul of goodness. You're refreshing my heart. What's beautiful and subtle here is how. How? Philemon, you're refreshing my heart because of your theological precision. Your ability to wax excellent and eloquent about the finer things of Christianity. That's refreshing my heart. We don't see that. And none of that is bad. 
Your ability to have appropriate cultural analysis, that's refreshing my heart, and that's not bad either. But what we see are their tangible acts of generosity and care. You're letting people in your house regularly and sharing a meal with them. <laughs> They're seeing the paint drip off your walls and you haven't kicked them out. Man, that's refreshing my heart, bud. Come on, yo. The simplicity of that is rich. Philemon teaches us this, guys. Love is more than a concept we talk about. It's emotions we feel deeply, and it's concrete actions we do or don't do regularly. We know that. We know that instinctively. We're meant to see that's the design. There's more, though. Honestly, the silent voice in this letter, to me, is the loudest voice. And it teaches us more about love. Onesimus, verse 17. So if you consider me your partner, receive him as you would receive me. Do you see the implication there? The implication is, one, that Onesimus is the one bringing this letter, this appeal to Philemon, which is crazy. Which is crazy, by the way. Onesimus carrying the appeal for a restored relationship. Now think about that. Think about the broken relationships in your life right now. How many of us are spending more energy avoiding them? Oh, we ain't cool. That's why I don't talk. I, don't talk. I already muted them on social. We ain't cool. Yeah, I know we're part of the same church, but our church is big enough. This room is large enough. So I, I'm going to be over there because they're going to be on the other side. Right? We avoid the brokenness in our relationships. And Onesimus is running to the tension. Do you know what he's expressing? Courageous humility. And courageous humility is at the very heart of love. You know what else is expressing? The, the willingness to suffer. The willingness to suffer. But think about this. Think about if he's actually received by Philemon. Now, Paul is expecting this. Paul is banking that the gospel is actually at work in Philemon, and he's going to change, and he's going to relate to Onesimus in a way where it's bondservant no longer, but brother, dear brother, family. You know how hard it is to get along with family? My God. We have a joke back there. Some of you got family coming in town, and you're like, you can go find this Airbnb because you know what's going on. How challenging it is, the level of suffering with somebody pushing through the awkwardness so that restoration could actually take place. That's love. Love suffers for and it suffers with. And Onesimus is modeling that. I am willing to suffer for you. I could stay away and not have to deal with this awkwardness, but I'm going to because the gospel is compelling me. And I'm willing not just to suffer for you, but to suffer with you. I'm going to stay and stick this thing out, even though it's challenging. <laughs> the collapsing of these examples is the question, how far are we willing to be stretched 
for the sake of love? Are we willing to limit personal liberty for the sake of another? Are we willing to embody this courageous humility that decenters, that empties, that has this attitude of kindness that says, I will endure because the relationship is worth it? Are we willing to move beyond conceptual ideas and deal with real life as it is? Are we willing to be stretched like that? Collapses in this question. And all of their examples collapse into a greater example, Jesus, who says, I am willing and it took place. Literally stretched for the sake of love, he died. He died. He died. You know what I've realized? We know that. Christians, we know that. But we have an issue. My daughter, I just outed her. She, she's good. She's good. She cares for it. Oh, she cares for us so well. My wife has a gluten allergy. Some of y'all are familiar with that. So she can't have wheat. In Jesus' name. One day, my daughter was like, oh, mom, you can't get down on this pasta. You know what? I'm going to adopt your diet. My wife's like, no, you don't have to do that, sweetie. It's okay. I don't... You don't have to suffer in this way, right? She said, no, I'm, I'm, I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it. Starting now. It's all right. So she didn't eat what we ate, uh, you know, and she had some gluten-free situation. She woke up the next morning. She's like, Mom, let's have a conversation. <laughs> I'm, so, I, I'm so serious. I'm so serious. And she's like, man, I love you. I don't, I'm not going to be able to do it. And my wife, who is amazing, was like, it's okay. You don't have to. The weight that, you know, just was lifted off of her shoulders was tremendous. Oh, praise God. That's a lot of us, man. It's not that we don't have initial willingness. We don't have endurance. Our willingness lasts about eight hours like hers. And you know what empties us of endurance the lack of other people's worthiness. So I'm willing to endure. I'm willing to be stretched as long as you show me you're worth the effort. Then I'll keep going. Praise God. That is not the gospel. That God's, Jesus' willingness is not tied to our worthiness. Praise God for that. His willingness is tied to his love and he endured. His willingness is tied to God's worthiness and God's word and that rooted him so he endured. This is Hebrews. In closing, consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. Our example of willingness not tied to other people's worthiness so that we can continue to be stretched. But the beauty is that Jesus is more than an example that we look to. 
He is the champion that we long for because you know and I know that even if that's the case, I don't have the capacity to keep going, to keep stretching. And it says, consider him. You want to keep going? You don't want to grow faint-hearted or weary? You consider him. In other words, you allow your imagination to be captured by his greatness. Consider him. Would his consideration lead to greater demonstration of love in your relationships right now? And your relationships together as city ref. So that what's said of you consistently is what's said of this church. Not its size, although you have that, but the sincerity of its faith, which you have as well. Pray with me. Father, um, yeah. God, the difficulty isn't in the clarity. The difficulty is in the doing. Because we know, we know, we're aware. But God, we're just so grateful that your word gives us hope by pointing us to a champion. God, thank you that Christianity can actually meet the demands of our day. That we don't have to look elsewhere. We can just consider you. got to pray that the weight of the text would sit on us in a good way and the weight of your love would sit on us in a good way and an intersection of that would be actions that reflect your greatness knowing you're doing all the heavy lifting and we get the joy of the work all this we ask in your name Jesus Thanks for listening. For more resources and to check out other teaching series, please visit our website at cityrev.org. If you would like to speak to somebody about beginning a relationship with Jesus or ask any questions you have about this teaching, you can email us at podcast at cityrev.org.